Julian here with episode number 12 of the Resilient Entrepreneur Podcast. And today it's also something new for me. We're going to do this for the first time via Zoom. Because as you know, I'm working on a new program to give you all the information that your business needs to be successful in the future. And that means being more online, being more digital, and uh, being future-proof. And uh, one of the main things I really needed a leading global expert on is cybersecurity. And this is why I brought on board today a special friend of mine. His name is Dr. Roland Roberts the second, if I see that. And he's joining us from Florida. Great to have you, Roland. Do a quick introduction. Who are you and where are you? Thank you so much, Julian. It's great to be with you. Uh, my background has been in, uh, in, in a number of ways. Uh, I am mainly the advisor to national governments on cybersecurity and artificial intelligence uh, measures uh, and strategy. And so we do a lot of uh, development and testing uh, and, and so forth with our think tank, Courageous, uh, based in uh, the United States. So, uh, it, you know, this is very interesting times that we live in. Uh, I've done a number of other things. Uh, I'm the CEO of the Hoverboard Company, uh, CEO of a manufacturing so, Yeah, I definitely need to get back to that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that was a, such a ride. Talking about crisis management, which is what entrepreneurs deal with on a daily basis, uh, and especially now even on a, on a global scale with the coronavirus, uh, we, we deal with crisis. And, of course, I had uh, over 600 Chinese manufacturers knocking off the hoverboard. We, had, um, we were banned from airlines uh, and from school campuses and in many areas. And so we, every day was a new Google alert. You're banned from this and banned from that. And, you know, um, having to, uh, and then of course, very quickly for for anyone that has been living under a rock um, or in Germany, for example, or maybe in Bali, you might not know hoverboard. It was remembered three, four years ago, the most sold consumer product gadget in the world. Yes, it was globally. We were the best selling consumer product in 2015 for the whole world. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. And it, it is one of these things you kind of stand on and then you can, it's, it's, it's like a self-driving skateboard kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like a scooter without a handle. You get on facing forward, two wheels, and you, you push forward to go and you kind of lean back a little bit to stop. And I mean, Roland, that's, that's what I love about you. And I think it's really great for our listeners as well. Is, uh, Roland is, I, I would say, a true blood entrepreneur and, and maker and change maker and, and driver. And we know each other for a few years and... Uh, You've done so many incredible things. Give us a little bit of your background. You probably go to, went to some university somewhere in the South. How did you get started? So we have a starting point with you. Sure. So whenever I went to college, uh, you know, I did not know. I grew up in, in, uh, in West Virginia. And so I was taught, you know, hard work, ethics, values, uh, you know, didn't have a whole lot. But, but I was given the things that really matter. And uh, so I went off to college. And... Um, and, and, and got a job. I was actually making six bucks an hour and thought I hit the jackpot. Uh, and, I, and, and I quickly moved up in that company. And, but after a few months, I started investing uh, in real estate with the jackpot that I thought I had. And, uh, uh, and that's when I first discovered a knack for business and for uh, creating value. And uh, so I ended up with several million by the time I graduated college, five semesters later. And um, Learned one of the most valuable lessons uh, of my life about two years after that, lost it all. Uh, I trusted the wrong person. And of course, it's one of the critical okay. lessons for entrepreneurs in business. Uh, 
you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with and do business with and love and you know and that was that was somebody on your staff or that was trusted it was my most trusted advisor that I had literally given legal a power of attorney to over my entire life so he controlled my bank account he controlled absolutely everything and that's how the embezzlement happened that's how that's how I lost it okay wow Yep. Uh, but you were young. I mean, the, the amazing thing about being a smart entrepreneur when you're young, you know, you you still have every chance in the world to to come back. Well, and you know, you you've got to experience those things to learn the lessons you need to 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 come back. And I'll tell you what 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 doesn't happen logically is even if you started at the bottom the first time and you get to the top and then you lose it, you don't go back. Even if even if circumstances, you may go worse, you know, uh, than what yeah. you started off. You're not. You, the way life works with this is somehow you only you only fall here, even though your circumstances may be down here. You only fall here because uh, as long as you don't quit, I have not seen it where someone does not actually achieve greater success than they did the first time. Uh, and it's because of what they learned and who they became in the process of achieving that success and then losing it and then gaining it back. So uh, here's the one thing people can't take away, and it's why I invested in myself first. Uh, Those first few years, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, spent a lot of money uh, on a lot of programs and and, and getting mentorship from a lot of people because I got on planes if they would meet me for 30 minutes, uh, traveled anywhere Mm -hmm. I needed to for their wisdom. uh, and, And that education is what no one could ever take from me. No financial loss, exactly. no financial crisis, no health crisis, no divorce. Nothing can take what you do for, uh, building on yourself uh, away from you. I, I definitely need to bring on board, you know, I'm writing on a book called The Superpowers of Every Entrepreneur. And I think that's why we get along so easily. It's, uh, it's, it's many of the same experiences, right? You know what happened with me with N-Trade, very similar. But you come back from that. And uh, again, this strength, these this tools you have built for yourself, you don't lose. That's right. why, like, even if you lose all the money, like in my case, you know, you're not going back to zero or below zero. In the best case scenario, you have people that still respect you. Like, you know, we work together. Uh, you still have learned things for yourself, how to do it the next time around. So every single time you go up, you're going to, you know, settle on a, on a different level when you come back down. And uh, I think this is something really very entrepreneurial. I, I have a big German audience, right? So um, kind of the way we have been working for the last 25 years uh, is very surprising to them because they're still kind of in a mindset often where you start one business and either it's going to work or you better just go home and never try again. And I think you're an incredible um, example of how different that can be done to stand up again and also challenge yourself in different businesses. So um, your claim to fame was hoverboard. Uh, how, how did you end up with that company? Let, let me Nobody say, heard of that company before it got big. It came out of nowhere. It, it did, yes. Let me say one thing on your point, uh, prior point. Uh, they say eight out of 10 businesses fail. That's why you need to start 10. <laughs> uh, if yeah. you try to bank on the first one, uh, you, you're not following data. You're not following science. Uh, you're trying to beat the odds, and uh, you're not that good. You know, So, so yeah. just follow the system uh, and the process that's out there. So hopefully that will help some of, some of the audience. Uh, resilience. Yeah, fantastic advice. Thank you so much for saying that. Resiliency is one of the greatest attributes. Uh, your, your problem is not lack of funding. Your problem is not any of those things. The problem is resiliency and thinking at a higher level. Uh, that that is the that is the the real challenge of entrepreneurship. 
So how I became CEO of the Hoverboard Company was um, I, I, a gentleman reached out to me actually on Twitter uh, and offered me the job. I didn't even see it for a couple of months because um, I don't follow a lot of the, the social uh, networks comments, but, um, uh, but, but they ended up doing it again and it got my attention. I, it actually popped up in, you know, when the, the services that monitor everywhere, you're mentioned everywhere and it came up on yeah. service and um, didn't know who they were. They were only a $4 million company at the time, 4 million bucks. Uh, wow. so I, uh, I said, no, I won't be the CEO, but I'll talk, you know, maybe we, I mean, I can help you in, you know, uh, they'll bring me on as an advisor or contractor or what have you. Uh, consultant so uh i flew we we, we met and uh the, the problem there was they had 32 inventions the inventor of the hoverboard had 32 inventions and he said i just don't know which one to do he said i'm not focused he watched one of my youtube videos um on uh, the uh, on, on on focus um it's called uh, the single fork strategy on youtube a 10 minute video but he watched that and that was the video that got his attention incidentally the the conference that i recorded that in i was my first conference i ever hosted and I went broke hosting wow. it. I my Jaguar just to finish paying the last $30,000 of whatever the audio video. <laughs> so uh, in renting of a, a massive convention center. And uh, but and, and so I lost my shirt on, on, on the conference. But a few years later, you know, he ended up seeing this and, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then offered me the job. And so once we met, I saw all the different inventions. He said, I don't I just don't know which one to ride. And so I said, um, you know, the, the hoverboard was the one we really wanted to go with. And um, uh, we we literally just with with Brookstone, Neiman Marcus, Target, Razor. Um, it was everywhere. Toys R Us. You know, we were just uh, we, we, we were all over the world uh, very quickly. And uh, how did how do you get into that retail stores? I mean, something a question I get. We did a lot of talk about Amazon this week about, you know, uh, online retail. Um, how do you get into this retailers? Because uh, this hoverboard, as you said, it was like. It didn't exist, and I, I used to travel a lot at that time, right? I used to spend a lot of time at airports, and it, literally that thing was everywhere. So how, how did you get in that door? So there's a couple ways. Uh, number one, we had the unique benefit of being direct because of the product uh, and because of relationships. Back to what we said, you get from failure, whether you win or lose, the experience, the process, the people uh, that you meet along the way because of your level of excellence. Um and uh, so we, I, uh, we had direct uh, uh, contacts with the stores themselves. We weren't having to go through the normal middlemen, you know, who are selling you, trying to get into those stores. So there's also yeah. major cost savings. We had a product that as we started pitching it from the CES shows and other places, they wanted us. Uh, and yeah. so, so we were able to have a direct relationship. You know, I remember the, my first day on the job, uh, you know, and uh, starting to see some of these things on how, what we were going to do. And then literally a few weeks later, we get a $3 million PO from Brookstone. You know, those kind yeah. of things. Oh, by the way, it came through on a fax machine. <laughs> it's, I'm like, uh, wow. 2015, and you're supposed to be the cutting edge retailer, and you're sending me the purchase order on a fax machine. I Mind blown. It's just, it's just good that, that, that somebody saw it. I mean, I work in Germany. We still do a lot of things via fax, especially in government grants. Um, and we actually went, went online on a fax machine because literally what happened, somebody sent a fax but people were just not accustomed to looking there anymore, right? So it could be there for like two weeks and nobody would ever notice, right? It would just stuck somewhere in the corner and everybody thought it's like a spam mail and it was like a million euro government grant approval uh, that have been waiting for the entire time that they, they chose to use a fax machine. I mean, you know, we, we remember the days of, of being pre-digital and I know you always got around quite a lot yourself, uh, 
the days of being an analog nomad uh, almost unimaginable these days. <laughs> it really is. Let me give you the, your audience a second way, though, uh, in terms of getting in the big box retailers. Uh, the, the, the second is to use big levers. And this is one of the things we did to expand internationally faster uh, because yeah. we have a window of opportunity to, especially with that sell, Christmas and holiday selling season, uh, we use big levers. We partnered uh, with, with, with Razor. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, so that it was a co-branded uh, hoverboard. And that was how we got into all the targets and Walmarts and so forth. Uh, globally, especially we had different arrangements, obviously, in different parts of the world uh, with them. But uh, Asia, Europe, you know, the U.S. even, um, we just had different uh, agreements for each region of the world. Uh, but yeah. we used a big lever that they already had the shelf space. Uh, so that from then, and we already had consumer demand. So it was just a matter of working out the, the mechanics uh, and the financials. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's really one of the stories that comes along every every decade. You know, there's like one of this this tech toys that does it big, and and kind of like for you, the last chapter of the hoverboard story was it the the pirated products that came out of China, the in-house competition, or what what made you kind of get out of that market altogether? Well, you know, I didn't want to get out of that. Uh, I I had a vision for the personal transportation category. Uh, which is okay. still emerging even today. Obviously, I think it's emerging in reverse with the birds and the the actual you know motorized scooters that are littering. I think downtowns and our urban areas. Uh, but um, uh, but personal transportation is a huge category, and uh, I had plans for the hoverboard 2.0, 3.0, just like an iPhone would have. You know, we're on uh, X or 11, you know, and 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 12s coming out. So. Uh, I, I had that vision uh, where they would get more sophisticated, more safety measures, you know, all kinds of things. We had just uh, programmed them to where they're really, it's really technology. Uh, it, it's hardware and software embedded in there so that if there was an issue, our support staff would be able to remote into the hoverboard and fix it for you remotely. Because whenever uh, I was there, we were still having them ship the hoverboard back and forth to serve service warranties. And so we were able to start doing as long as it wasn't a hardware we were able to, to remote in to the hoverboard, which was fascinating yeah. and logical. Um, after and for for small-scale transportation and, and the cost factor you're talking about is really, uh, I mean, we do it and for power systems, right? But we also have a different price point. To do that, you know, five years ago on a, on a, on a almost mobile device um, that's scooting around at that price point, that's, that's quite a breakthrough. Yes, uh, agreed. And the, uh, so I, I left because uh, we sold the patent. So uh, the, the inventor was wanting to get out of it. He made, you know, a significant uh, uh, payday and uh, wanted, to, uh, wanted to exit completely. Uh, he was at the latter yeah. stage. I still had a lot of horsepower, you know, ready to go. And so it just, uh, but, you know, when the check is big enough, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter. So the, we sold the patent. But I mean, overall, amazing uh, experience. And I said, uh, kind of this challenge is also how we got to work together is the challenge, the intersection between hard and software and all the challenges of, of coming uh, with, with bringing an actually a hardware product to the market of doing service and inventory and replacement parts. And, uh, you know, it's not just shipping the product. I would say that's literally almost probably the easiest part of the whole process. It's what comes after that. Right. And yeah. I can only imagine if you're shipping millions of units like you guys did, uh, what a nightmare that it must have been. Yes. Yeah. When, when, when multiple uh, UPS or you know, FedEx trucks are arriving daily to pick up and to drop off. 
Um, so just just for our listeners, we had this uh, how this whole thing came together. We had a conference call yesterday uh, with a pension fund uh, and technology provider in Kenya, uh, East Africa. And uh, actually, I, I didn't really know what you were doing for the rest of your time because I said you're very multifaceted. But the story that did come up immediately with the government of Kenya yesterday was cybersecurity and cybersecurity in the days of coronavirus, right, where we have a massive strain and pressure for people to work from home. Um, but we also know that, uh, you know, our networks are incredibly, um, yes, easy to crack, even in day-to-day -day business if we're all within an office. They're incredibly vulnerable to outside attacks. I know in our time at Entrade, we had about 30 bots attacked per day on our service systems. Um, so they're constantly under attack. And now with everybody trying to work from home, especially in Germany um, and Italy and probably in the future in the U.S. as well, um, obviously we have entirely new challenges to our infrastructure, um, to the way how we move uh, data around and uh, try to keep it safe at the same time. And everybody's kind of panicking now how we're going to work from home and how are we going to almost uh, leapfrog, you know, years of cybersecurity development. And we go from uh, pretty much having no security to having thousands or hundreds of thousands of official workers working from home via different systems. And so I was so fascinated to hear from you. What are you doing now? And what is the solution you're working on that you were trying to pitch uh, to the government last night? I would just love to hear about more, and I think our listeners as well. Yeah, well, several several things here. Uh, most governments that bring me in, they're wanting economic development uh, and cybersecurity, or they're wanting the most advanced weaponry you know that exists in the world today. Which, in terms of uh, weapons and defense, uh, you know, ammunition was the most, the biggest development in, in in warfare in human history, and then the next biggest development, uh, the second biggest development in warfare was nuclear. And now the greatest threat, the third most significant advancement in warfare is artificial intelligence. Well, uh, and, and so that's what we focus on is working do, in developing the artificial intelligent, uh, you know, national security and defense systems, uh, both within a country, uh, threats from within and threats from without. Uh, and so that leads us into the cybersecurity, because if anything you have of this nature has to be secured and defended, critical infrastructure, utilities, communications, uh, you know, the coronavirus right now, uh, it's one thing, there's a global panic, obviously, there's a lot of fear, but imagine if I cut everyone's power off in the world at the same time. Imagine not only did I cut their power off, but I cut their off their ability to communicate, which we can do with, you know, the, all uh, mobile devices. So, uh, and, 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 you know, computers or any kind of networked uh, device. Uh, people would be in, and uh, we would see an Armageddon like what we really don't want to imagine or can't imagine because we like to believe in human decency and uh, and values and virtues which uh, are non-existent in the scenario I just described to you. So yeah, we would be clearly into Hollywood territory at that point. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, so as it relates to the coronavirus, for example, there have been more remote workers, you know. For, for the last 10 years, really, as entrepreneurship started to uh, to blossom uh, and more people started working from home became more acceptable because there was so much travel and working remotely was really the key as opposed to just working from home. Uh, but this has escalated in ways that we could not have imagined. Uh, you know, a couple of stats. Number one, the health and human services in the United States is receiving a, a massive uptick in attacks daily 
since last Tuesday. This is a a cyber terrorist dream, uh, the environment that we're currently in, and they're taking full advantage of it. Uh, we had a European equivalent, uh, a, a European agency, government agency, that just went from 10,000 licenses to 20,000 licenses of our product, a cybersecurity, because of all of the, the increased number of people that are working from from, uh, from home or remotely. Uh, and the reason for that is most cybersecurity solutions uh, focus on the perimeter. They, they, they're firewalls. They protect data inside of, when you're on our network or inside of our network, our data, most IT people feel like their data is protected. Uh, I would challenge that and, and kind of laugh at it and take about five minutes on a smartphone and, and, and prove them otherwise. But, uh, and then you hear all the other experts talking about two-factor authentication, complex passwords, uh, you know, character, uh, uppercase, lowercase, a unique character and, and, and numerical. All of these things are so old-fashioned, you should never listen this to them. It's 90s shit, right? I mean, none of that is, is really still securing it's anything, really, right, to be quite yeah, honest. Well, it's really just to make, make you feel better, and uh, you're just as vulnerable, and then just forget it more easily, and it, it complicates your life. But uh, So anyway, the, the idea, though, is that cybersecurity has to extend beyond the perimeter. It has to extend beyond uh, your inside of your network and your firewall. It needs to follow the data. Your security yeah. has to follow the data. Uh, so you need to be able to work across uh, multiple enterprises uh, with anyone in any enterprise, across any firewall, on any device. Uh, you've got to still have granular level encryption uh, control over every single piece of data. So for example, if I send you a document um, and then you know two weeks from now, you're no longer with that company, I can, I can uh, literally render that document uh, useless so that you could never open it. And it's not just that it's locked, okay. it's that it doesn't exist, okay? So yeah. it follows the data. This always also protects against one of the other major uh, cybersecurity threats, which is the inside threat. Uh, the, the Edward Snowden, uh, if you will, effect of, it's one thing to defend against the outside, but so many data breaches happen because of someone on the inside, whether it's malicious yeah. or not, uh, whether they opened the wrong email, uh, or, or as simple as, as I always put it, it's like the, the biggest threat uh, to our old security system was, was literally me leaving a laptop laying around in China, right? Um, it, it's such an easy target. You know, if, if we have open data channels. Uh, we generally used to communicate via, via um, IPsec2 channels between our different uh, computers. But that meant like, you know, within our little knob, we were very secure. But if one of these knobs was literally jeopardized, that could be as stupid as me, whatever, using my grandmother's birthday as my passport on my laptop and leaving it and somebody taping it. They, you know, let's not kid ourselves. A good hacker is within that laptop in under five minutes and then he has access to the entire network, right? Yeah, well, you know, there's, the, 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 there's another dynamic here at play and that is, you know, the, with Europe passing the, the law that executives are now held liable for data breaches uh, it, it, it was one thing whenever it's like, okay, everybody in the world's having data breaches. Uh, yeah. all the governments, you know, are, are really some of the worst offenders. Um, and, and so we pay a penalty to the appropriate agency and, uh, and we, we buy some more uh, software and that we try to make, it takes two years to implement because you're trying to make it play nice in the sandbox with all of the other technologies and existing IT infrastructure. Uh, but now the, the, the real kicker that's going to change and is changing the entire landscape 
uh, on cybersecurity globally is now there is a financial reason to spend that capital expenditures. Uh, and that yes. is, uh, not only are you going to get fined, it wasn't their money, the CEO's money in the first place. Not only are you going to get fined as a company, you can, they can come after you civilly and criminally, personally, the executive team. Okay. Okay. So all of a sudden it gets a little bit more personal. If there's a data breach on your watch, they, you can personally be going to jail for that. Now, you may not have considered a, 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 you know, a, a robust cybersecurity system prior to that. You may think you're not, your data is not important enough, that you don't have enough of it. Um, and, it yeah. and I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you will still find yourself in a prison cell um, with people who have done much, uh, you know, very different uh, physical acts of violence uh, because uh, you did not uh, uh, be a good fiduciary duty and, and, and do, do due diligence on the cybersecurity. It's a major issue. And the coronavirus has exponentially grown that need. It was important and critical before. It is yeah. it, it's, uh, essential, you know, now with, with the remote workers. So, uh, exactly. We, we talked about this yesterday. Said we, we, the, the word that keeps up is making is going future proof. Right. Um, and that was like the word until, let's say, two months ago. Right now, I would say the future is here right now. Right. We are under such now urgent need to change the way how we work. People are in home office already. That makes the networks incredibly more vulnerable. I talked to one of our patent attorneys last week, for example, and he said, you listen, we have 100 attorneys. Uh, we can only, we have to shut down like half of our offices, so only one person is in each office. said, why are you in the office at all? I mean, you're a patent attorney, right? It's not like you're running machinery. He said, we have such strict regulation right now. We just simply don't know how to remotely access our desktops in the office from home. And I said, you're in Munich. You know how much you're spending on office space a year? You could be buying the best security software packages out there without making a dent and just keep a freaking conference room. Let the people who work from home. But I think the coronavirus is going to jumpstart uh, that development. It's going to say leapfrog years of slow development and technology purchases because we need a solution now, right? We need a solution right now that you can remotely install on a company computer, give your remote access, and you're still supposed to you know, be okay with compliance. You're supposed to be okay with all government regulations. And again, if we can get rid of the issues that we generally have of like, if you have two, three programs that are running security on your desktop, I don't know if anybody out there has ever done it, but they really have a great tendency to interfere with each other. And one software would trigger the emergency panic button of the other software and back and forth. And you literally, you, you take the risk of literally shutting yourself out because you know one triggers the other. So what is the solution? That's really what I want to know for my company as well. And, and if you convince me personally, I, I'll, I'm gonna buy some licenses from you tonight. Uh, for EX, because we have the same challenge, you know, we are parts of university networks, everything else. Um, what have you been working on? Because what you have been talking about, the kind of one-stop shop, the one solution, uh, sounds super exciting, and probably most people just simply haven't heard about it. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, really what's happening right now is you've got coronavirus getting all of the attention, and it's like, hey, look at me, and the whole world is consumed here, and uh, what only a handful of governments are looking at right now is, wait, this could be a this is in part a sleight of hand by everyone's attention being over here so then they this can happen over here and so as as a leader i think it's incumbent upon all of the executives and entrepreneurs to recognize you're making business decisions here but the business decisions you make here are affecting what's happening over here and you're losing sight yeah. of even a, a greater and another huge picture as well which is uh 
you know, your entire data and infrastructure, which you may not even value, but I promise you, as someone else does, uh, even if it is mean, meaningless, uh, benign data, that is very valuable um, uh, to, to certain people. So, um, you know, but, but basically what we've done with the solution is we replace most every cybersecurity solution that there is um, so that you don't have to be running multiple. Uh, so it replaces uh, all of the, the, the ones that normally are just vertically focused. This is it, it, this this handles horizontally and then is, uh, is at the end user level. So instead of just trying to to deploy something, uh, this is rolled out uh, at the at the end user level. So literally, uh, for example, there may be a button in their uh, email application that says that they can delete certain data and you know those kind of things. But you still have to have complete reporting and tracking and auditing capabilities. Uh, that's required in a lot of countries, especially for financial institutions and banks and so forth. Uh, they must have the audit trail, which this provides. Uh, you can set up uh, uh, end-user uh, parameters that follow your current user access, a file access control. Uh, so, for example, uh, you may – so someone can't uh, download – they may have access to a file, but they can't, uh, if they download your entire customer database, you're going to get an email and the entire chain will be alerted instantly of that, that that happened. Um, so that you mm -hmm. can prevent if someone's getting ready to resign and they're still in good graces, you have no idea. And they start trying to, to, to offload some of your data so they can take it to their next company. Uh, you know, those kind of things you would be aware of. You're notified of every single attack uh, that's, ha that's happening. So the monitoring capabilities and then, of course, um, uh, the ability just to have the granular encryption uh, following the data outside of the network. So to be able to do yeah. those things, I think, is really one of the major uh, pieces to it. Um, you know, you also, especially in the Internet of Things market, this, the, the security has to extend beyond the vertical products. Uh, and so mm -hmm. it's high trust certified and it provides the anti ransomware zero day protection. Uh, there's no minimum number of licenses, and it's $600 a license per year. So it's just uh, it, it's a very economical thing to do. It's deployed seamlessly virtual, uh, virtually, uh, so mm -hmm. and it integrates with whatever the existing IT infrastructure is. Uh, so uh, we we have found great success uh, with that uh, with the government uh, in the United States and several of the states themselves, uh, and then obviously a number of private enterprises because of the uh, you know, the, the economics of it and because of the uh, ease of deployment and, and the yeah. ease of scalability. One of the most difficult things. So, so you don't need, uh, sorry, so you don't need kind of like uh, you would do with SAP, for example, right? Somebody drove me crazy over the last 25 years. It's as great as the system is, but if you need someone that continuously sets up your system and, and works for you and they charge you $500 an hour and you have this uncontrollable cost as an enterprise, um, it, it, it gets very, very frustrating to have this customized solutions. So if I understand this correctly, you kind of get a, get a per staff member license, and that kind of protects that person and that person's data that he holds for the company through all different devices. And all data that he accesses. Remember, it's not just the okay. data that he has on his device. It's the data that he accesses. He accesses your network. If someone had access to him, they now have access to your network. Uh, okay. So so it, it's at, it's it's protecting the data at the end user level, um, whether it is downloaded or in their possession or not, and that's one of the the critical differences as well. Uh, but as you know, in any type of a software deployment, 
usually training and education, there's a ramp up. And that is not the case in this. It's, it, it's happening behind the scenes. Uh, so you don't have to okay. worry about user adoption, which is one of the, usually one of the difficult things. Whenever uh, in 2005, whenever I, the, the, the massive multi-billion dollar company I was working for uh, gave me an RSA encryption key that changed every 30 seconds, a seven-digit number that I had to enter in my laptop in order to get in, all kinds of encryption levels, even at that time that we had. And, uh, and we were the first to go public with a data breach, ironically. Uh, that, uh, that was Choice Point in uh, 2006. And so, uh, but, but, but we had all of this and it was not easy to integrate. It was not easy to get users to adopt it. There was a lot of resistance. Yeah. This is intuitive. It's easy integration. Uh, it's it's cross-domain and utilizing artificial intelligence. And this is why I want to go back to that because it's, you cannot just have cybersecurity that is a, a, a static software anymore because the threats yeah. are not static the threats yes. are using artificial intelligence and if this doesn't work then they already have it written well then try this and if it gets bounced back like this or you get this message then you got to do this so the tree is so hierarchical and they're starting to add the ai in learning the behavior the rhythms the algorithms of what kind of responses the systems give back so that it can then attack in a better more efficient effective manner to get what they're wanting out of your system or out of your data. Yeah. In this case, uh, uh, it doesn't matter even if they did get in, they won't have anything to get because the data is encrypted at the granular uh, end user level. Um, okay. And they have full so they, they, they would have to get, if we go through, let's say they do find a backdoor. They, they, they need to get into the device. They need to get through the firewall. They need to go onto the device. Then there's still the data itself is encrypted. And even if they, by any chance, would be able to decrypt that one document, that still would not give them access to anything beyond that. So any other file after that, they would have to decrypt as well. Is, is well, that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And But here's the thing, too, is you're notified real time of all of those things. So you would be deleting a document or deleting data or moving data off of a device, uh, which is really it's not that so much that it's on the device. It's that it's usually accessed from a device. Most of the, the, yeah. the pure data is is usually held on a network server, and they're, that that they're accessing remotely. Um, so whether they're in, in, whether you're sitting in the office, then my main concern would be the internal threat, uh, and that's mm -hmm. Snowden. Or it would be that I emailed it out to somebody, and the data is now in, uh, in their behind their firewall or another system, and I need to be able to. Uh, uh, render that data useless and ineffective. I still have okay. that control. My security okay. follows the data. So even if mm -hmm. someone didn't hack in and get the file, maybe I emailed the file to them. I emailed yeah. the data voluntarily. But now that has become a risk that I need to mitigate. Uh, this software does that with the push of a button. And also, if I understand you correctly, I, I can download this to the phone of my choice. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that the company provides. So if I have, my, I can still use my favorite Android phone or my favorite iPhone. I don't need to go to, you know, one of the secure clunky oh, ones that, that not even top exactly. politicians want to use because they don't know how to move their WhatsApp from one phone to the other. Let's face it, I, I messed that one up myself. Um, but but they can use all the devices that they love and use already. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, it is not. It is not device specific. Uh, so no, no satellite phones or you know bulky devices or things or a unique device even. Um, that's one of the things that makes this so uh, unique. Um, you know, look, we're we're trying to pr uh, 
we're, we're protecting the most sensitive data in the world right now. Uh, we can't have uh, numerous uh, solutions. We have to have a seamless, integrated AI cybersecurity uh, solution, single solution that is meeting, uh, that is equal to and exceeding and ahead of the uh, opposition who never stops uh, as well. And they are more committed to getting in than you are to keeping yeah. it. And I know that you're, that you're a policymaker yourself. Um, if I install this right now as a German company, I don't have to have a lot of time to read all the fine print. Um, most of our data protection uh, laws are on European Union level in general, by right? the European Union directives. Um, am I safe from day one? Do I need to adjust anything? Or are you, are you confident that your product can work as is for European company without creating these liabilities to the management? It, it, it already is working seamlessly in the European countries uh, at the government levels. Uh, okay. Uh, especially uh, one very critical uh, agency in Europe, uh, government agency. So, um, so no, and, and they're doing it on a large scale. Uh, and, it's, and it's once again running behind the scenes. So it, it doesn't alter or disrupt the end user's uh, life. It just gives them, you know, an additional uh, button to, to uh, make uh, render certain files useless. Uh, or unreadable, but uh, but it does not affect them in any way. So it's already being used in abundance uh, in Europe. Yeah, fantastic. I said because I have many friends that are asking me because I, you you remember I, I did the tour for Schneider Electrics yeah. on automation uh, 2018 on how to run a decentralized power system. And our challenge always was that we had 200 different power plants and we were remotely controlled and our customers didn't want their data to leak out, right? Because if you know the power consumption of a hotel and you probably trade a company, we even knew how many rooms were occupied, right? It's a very simple calculation uh, at that front. So uh, we spend a lot of money on that, we spend a lot of time on that. And we know how complicated it is. We used to have our entire own in-house staff, uses cost about 20,000 euros a month just on staffing and servers and server backups and redundancy servers and all these kind of things. Uh, we have been through this and ultimately, just in my personal experience, it never really works. Right. right? So if you've come up with your own solution. You were exactly right. So A, it doing what it, so the software they claim, and not that they have to go write code, but that it already is. I want to give one last point to this, and that is the, the idea of the virtual neighbor. Uh, yes. Even if your domain does not get hacked in your firewall and nobody breaks into your any of your networks and your systems, one of your virtual neighbors, they might, and they can then get into years. So they may not be able to breach what you have originally, but uh, but they are able to by getting into their into someone that you do business with or communicate with or ha that you have sent a file or received a file or an email. Uh, they can get into their network, and then because uh, they have communicated with you, they are able to bridge in. Uh, like for example, yeah. in the United States, sometimes they'll. It's very easy to hack into like a library or into some low-hanging fruit, and people would just laugh at. Like, okay, well, what's there? People's information from 30 years ago, great. That's not the, the case. The difference is that those those is the network that the libraries are then associated with, which extend, you know, all the way, you know, back, it could extend to like a Federal Reserve, for example, uh, because of the exactly. trail in the in the, in the, in the crumb. So, so the idea of virtual neighbors, if you don't, if you are only protecting your data inside the firewall, you're a, you're having a, a horrible time of it because there's so many different solutions you need and they, and to constantly keep them talking together and to manage each one of those. 
and that's a hefty expense as well, yeah. as well as ineffective, combined with, uh, you know, as compared to, you know, a single solution that, that protects inside the firewall, but then also extends beyond the firewall, wherever that data goes, and whoever yeah. I mean, neighbors are. I mean, most, most breaches are still at a ridiculously low tech, as I said, either it's a lost device or it's an attachment to an email. Uh, still people download every email that they have and they click on some random stuff. And you just, if you have 1000 employees, you know, you just need one of them to be bored enough to say, Ooh, I wonder what that, what that file is. It's not as obvious as it used to be a few years back, but as most data breaches, I said, are coming out of the closed network. So it's not that I'm after uh, suggesting social distancing. I'm also now suggesting digital distancing, but uh, put the right software in place so you can keep communicating. We can keep our data safe. And I said, right now, we just don't have any time to waste because I think we're, as you said, in an incredibly vulnerable situation right now, because if, if now something happens on addition to the virus we already have, as you said, and uh, I always made that, that joke years ago, you know, running a power company in the US that uh, it's already so outdated that give me three guys from MIT and $100,000, I, I could switch that thing down manually. Um, I was in New York actually 2003 doing the big blackout, sitting in the conference room at Lehman Brothers when everything went dark. Um, all those things can happen, but we are literally, I mean, I think we both agree one step away from a, a mass panic if anything like this would happen because things are already so tense. So I think we have to protect our networks. We need to make sure we keep the lights on. We got to make sure we keep the communication up and running. And if this can be made much safer, I say this is a great day for any cyber terrorist on this planet. Everything is in chaos and we are probably opening lots of little loopholes and, and cracks in the system that is already vulnerable to begin with. Uh, it's a great day for them. Um, and if your system really can achieve that, I think you guys have just done an amazing job. I love the hoverboard, I have to say. Uh, it was a cool product, but I think this is so much more meaningful. It is. And I think many people will be incredibly thank you. For, for putting in the work, the money, the effort, and putting this project together, and also now making it available. I mean, you said it's like $600 a year for a license. Yes. Um, that's, that's like, you know, it's like regular software price. It's not like you come in and say, listen, you know, you need to give me $5 million up front to talk to you. You, you do this really on an individual level, right? That, that's correct. And that was one of the big challenges and in, 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 in struggles because obviously we knew the value of this and, 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 and could price it significantly higher. Uh, I mean, Salesforce.com, you know, and for uh, CRM and ERBs, price are, are much, much higher. You know, it's a couple thousand a license or something like that. I think that. I just spent two and a half thousand euros on SEMrush. That does nothing else than optimize my, uh, my, my Facebook ads. I mean, let, let's be honest here. Right. And so, but this is critical. And, and uh, to me, just like coming up with a vaccine for the coronavirus has been a global mission to me, while, while people are focused on this boogeyman, I'm focusing on the one that that uh, a, a greater a great one uh, equal to or greater than uh, that this could just end up looking like a distraction, opening up all of these other loopholes. Uh, so you think you're doing yeah. a thing here, letting people work from home. It's so kind. It's this, and you don't know the massive amounts of uh, damage that you could be doing to to them personally uh, and otherwise by doing so. Uh, and so I I feel like it's it's a humanitarian mission as much as anything to be doing what we're doing on this front because what what we're keeping is things from really wreaking havoc in society. Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. We're going to put everything up. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, we're going to put up all the necessary information down here. Don't forget to subscribe, please. Um, also, if you listen to this on podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or anything, 
come back to my website, julianulich.co. That's Julian with an E. And uh, I think, Roland, we should put all the necessary information together now. Um, how quickly can we install a system like this? Let's say you've got 50 staff members. Can we do it in a day, two days? You, you, you can do it. You can do it in, 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 in a day, with, especially with that number. Uh, uh, and we have very easy user guides and deployments uh, for, your, for the technical staff. Uh, so it can, it can happen uh, you know, very quickly. Uh, you simply uh, go to courageousexperience.com. There's a, a, a portal there that you can put in uh, how many seats you would need, and then we will contact you. Uh, we literally just have a, an MSA, uh, a master service agreement that we'll, we'll send you, and we just need the PO, and, uh, and we're able to send the, send the licenses. That's fantastic. Great work, Roland. It's always amazing talking to you. You're always really on the top-notch things going on where the exciting stuff is happening. I know I can find you. Thank you for all the input. We're going to put this together in presentation. Uh, this was Julian here with episode number 11 of the Resilient Entrepreneur podcast with our guest, Dr. Roland Roberts II, joining us from Miami, Florida here. It's great talking to you. We stay in close contact and reach out to us via WhatsApp, via email, something like that. Let's get you the information out there to make your business safer and future-proof because I've brought it up multiple times. The future is right now. We can't wait any longer. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.